if Catholics treat confession like a car wash, they're doing confession wrong. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to yet another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by Dave the Giraffe Van Vickel. How you doing, Dave? Gir- hey, I, that's my favorite animal. I know. That's why I said that. You didn't and, know that. And the fact that I'm in a children's classroom <laughs> trying to record, <laughs> and a giraffe was on the wall, and it was like the only thing around <laughs> that I could see <laughs> to make up your nickname. <laughs> you're 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 phoning it in today. That's the oh problem. man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's you know it's getting cold here and everything, and I'm like in the holiday frame of mind here. Hey, you know what I got to do this weekend? It was awesome. What's that? I got to travel to Cleveland to hear my wife speak at a retreat. Ooh, that's a rarity, yeah. huh? Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was so cool. What's the and publication she did great- that your wife works for, or that she publishes blog post stuff? Well, she, well, she does a lot with like National Catholic Register. She, you know, does blog posts with them. And then there was a, a women's website called Helena Daily, which I think morphed into something else. But um, she really just writes. But then a friend of hers said, "You know, um, we're having this women's retreat, and we, you know, I've been really been inspired by your writing. Would you come out and speak?" And I thought for sure she'd say no, but she said yes. And man, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make such a good stay-at-home dad. She was so much better than I was. It was amazing. It was amazing. So, I mean, she was it was it was just awesome to watch. I mean, you know how that is. She has some ministry and stuff like that. So, yeah. Yeah, but my wife fun, is terrible at that stuff. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't believe it for once. Yeah. Second. Not even for a second. Um hey, so I wanted to bring up something that one of our listeners sent in. And they sent in an email. This is not the topic for the show, but I just wanted to address it in the beginning. He sent in an email that was incredibly intense. And maybe we'll follow it up after the Advent season to kind of dive a little deeper. But he said that basically their parish has known a lot of issues that has destroyed and eroded credibility in the clergy, like the pastor, you know, scandal financial irresponsibility all these a whole level of um a whole level of corruption or scandal or at the very least accusation and impropriety and right. so he said how, how do we evangelize in an environment like this do you remember that email dave oh yeah I'm, i i have it pulled up right now because i just i've actually been praying for this guy for a long yeah. time because it's just it's rough it's rough to hear this um yeah i mean i mean you know i just i understand in a sense, like I, I grieve with him, you know, because it's not just his community; it's the whole church right now. Yeah, and one of the things that Bishop Barron pointed out in his wonderful book, "Letter to a Suffering Church," he said very specifically that we need to recognize the sin of scandal of what what happens is it reverberates out. Like if a kid is hurt, their parents stop going to church. They spread that like, oh, you can't trust the Catholic Church. They safeguarded so and so who attacked my kid. Right. And he's like, and a, the ripple effect is you. You're literally having dozens upon dozens of people abandon the Church of Christ because of these horrible weeds sown in the wheat field. And um, I'm thinking about with in regard to this guy though, his heart is on fire for our Lord. Yeah. His heart is there. His faith is there. And we often talk about having, I use the phrase, a white hot faith. 
Sherry Waddell one day sent me a very beautiful email. I was having a very difficult time at work, and um, she sent me an email that said, listen, I know, you know, personalities and conflicts and different things can happen in any setting, whether you're at a movement, a hip nonprofit, or at a parish setting. She said, but all it takes is one person's yes, whether they're clergy or laity, and you can change the entire dynamic of a parish. Yeah. One yeah. person's yes cannot just be, it's not like, we tend to think of one yes as a single droplet of water in the ocean. What can I do to change it? But it's really the spark that can ignite what the Holy Spirit is already doing in people's lives. So I just wanted to say to this person, I know it's dark, but Christ is the light. And people who have sit who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. You can still fulfill your ministry even when other people are <laughs> seemingly burning the church to the ground. You are responsible for the person right in front of you. You're not responsible for anyone or anything else outside of those who are within, you know, who are right in front of you. And I always use the analogy of Nehemiah repairing the walls of Jerusalem. The whole order was you can't, no one person can fix the entire walls. But if everyone just walks outside their home, goes to the section of the wall around Jerusalem that's torn down right in front of their house and rebuilds that one thing, we could have it done in a month. And when you start to think in those terms, like the heavenly Jerusalem is in ruins in certain ways. Yeah. Right. But you and I get overwhelmed so easily by the damage and the despair or the hype machine that surrounds social media and all this stuff that we can give up hope that, you know, it's too much work. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is active right now in people's lives. And maybe there's tons of <laughs> gas flooding their hearts that you are the spark or the match and you only have one little light. And it might not seem like anything compared to the the roaring darkness of demonic activity, but all it takes is one little light to light up a whole room and to dispel the darkness. So do not grow weary in doing good. I guess that's that's my message. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I think that's a I think that was a hope filled message, Gomer. Yeah, and I um I, I kind of got that idea from Jeff Cavins again. I keep talking about Jeff. He really had an impact. Him and his wife had an impact on me in a deep way. He was at our parish. He did his Activated Disciple um, presentations that he does based around his book, Activated Disciples. Great book. You should get it. Pass it out. I bought 20 of them, and we passed them out to our ministry leads. Um, but the the thing he said at the very end of his conference, he says, people come up to me all the time. I say, oh, Jeff, oh, the, the life of the church. Oh, it's all falling apart. All these scandals and all this stuff. And did you hear about this and hear about that? And he said, you know what I do? I tell them, I, I'm not reading what you're reading. But did you hear there's a new study on Hebrews coming out soon? Like, did you, did you, you know, like, are you, so I talked with him afterwards. I said, D Jeff, man, that was powerful because I lit I had a person cry over it. And he said, um, and I, I think I might've touched on this, but the words he said hung with me. He said, you're still called to evangelize. Like yeah. I am so energized in the church today because I see right. people responding to this message. And so I do, I want to give hope. I want to give encouragement. I don't want to be sandbagging this or that thing. I want you people listening to this to say that Christ is bigger than the problems in the church or than the sin in my own life and that he can do yeah. great things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, 
it's I love that you said that because I literally I can hardly sleep at night thinking of the saints that God is going to raise up to to quell this darkness, you know. Like I, I, you know, I'm a big saint nerd. I love saints, and like that's how God always responds to crises, crises, yeah. and and I'm just I'm so excited to see who He raises up and the people and the caliber of people that He raises up to to really answer what's going on right now. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It is, and I I think of a great quote from Father Benedict Groeschel, may he rest in peace, who said. Uh, he studied the worst century in the history of the church and found out there were more individuals canonized during that century, which it was a time of the highest institutional corruption that he just thought that is God's handiwork. Right. Yeah. So I I just think of that. It's so amazing. Do you know, do you know when I was young um, and I was like kind of struggling with my faith, I met a CFR and I wrote father Benedict a letter and and I gave it to the CFR. I was like, could you give this to Father Benedict? And he put it in his hood. I thought it was so cool that he did that. <laughs> and literally two and a half years later, I got a giant box in the mail from Father Benedict Rochelle. We had never met. Filled with books and like letters from him and stuff like that. And he was like, I'm sorry it took me so long to respond. But here are some things that I think might help you out in your faith journey. Isn't that cool? Whoa, that is awesome. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Um, So what we wanted to do and talk about today was the topic of repentance. You know, Advent is a penitential season, but uh, Marisa, one of our show's producers, she always reminds us that everyone tends to focus during Advent on, you know, baby Jesus, the wise man, right, the (laughs) Jesse tree, all those cool things. Um, But what we want to do is realize that there's a difference between the Christmas season and Advent. And Advent is a time of penance. It's an actual penitential season or a season for repentance. And so we wanted to treat a couple episodes on the theme and topic of repentance. Do you have any thoughts, Dave? No, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this. I think, I think like this is, you know, I mean, this is like where the rubber meets the road with our faith, you know, and repentance is such an important part, not just of, I mean, think about that. There are two seasons, right? Two major seasons of the church, the lar- the greatest seasons of the church, the Advent season and Lent that are just meant for us to focus on repentance. So you can see how important it is for us. And, and it's a forgotten art. It is. And the beautiful thing is it's a season of repentance. It's not a night of self-hatred. <laughs> it's a season of repentance <laughs> where we examine ourselves over the period over the period of weeks and the cool thing about that is you're using the readings and the liturgies to examine yourself i think yeah. too often when we talk about penance we just focus on narrowly just myself you know alone with an examination of conscience or something like that but just as faith is both individual and ecclesial so too is our repentance individual and ecclesial and i think a lot of people lose sight of that that aspect of it is like there is a communal dimension to our penance. So we're going to talk about both today. Um, and going back to my, uh, I, I use two stories, Dave, every time I talk about repentance. Because I have Ooh, I found, to hear them. yeah, I have found, I don't know about you, but no one ever talks about repentance. They talk about like right. examination of conscience and how to go to confession. Right. But have you ever heard a right. homily or a talk on how to repent? No, I've never. And because you always say that, I pitched it to our clergy team this Advent. 
Oh, really? And, so, yeah, and supposedly that's going to happen. So. Oh, so. that is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. So um, the first story I have is when a priest began reading Sherry Waddell's Forming Intentional Disciples. My parish was going off to this event out in California called Parish Catalyst. And you get to see these same faces every six months. And you see the journey and, and all this um, kind of intentionality and strategy that you're planning um, in between the visits. And so... You see the fruit of them. And this guy said, well, I read Forming Intentional Disciples. And I said, oh, wonderful. It's like my favorite book. And he said, you know, and she talks about having an expectant faith. And if you preach the kerygma, things will happen. And I said, okay, tell me about it. And he said, essentially, when I get up, you know, I'm preaching the kerygma. Nothing's, nothing's happening. Nothing. I'm not getting any response of faith. I get the smiles and the nods and the thank you, Father. And I said, well, well, how are you doing it? And he said, well, instead of telling him about the God who's judgmental and the God of justice, I talk about the God of love and the God loves you. And I said, uh, okay. <laughs> and then right. he said, and how God wants to be in a relationship with you. And that's why you should come to church and give your life in faith. And Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. And I said, okay, okay, okay. I said, but you kind of missed a point in the middle there. And he said, what's that? And I said, you didn't mention repentance. How do you call people to repent of their sin? He looked at me. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, when you're talking about God and the death of Jesus, that means nothing if there's no sin to die for. Right. And he's like, well, well, I, I said, you know, like, do you ever say like list sins out and say, you know, if you're guilty of these, like come to the sacrament of confession and blah, blah, blah. Or do you explain what sin does to us? And he's like, I've never done that in my entire life as a priest. I was like, Father, I think that's the missing component. They don't know what they're right. converting from. And so right. what, what do they have to convert to? And he was like, I never thought of that. Yeah, I, I just think like, um, and it's one of those things that is, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say this exactly, but it's very typically catholic right our entire theology revolves around repentance because it it's a it's not a jesus can overlook our sins because he died for our sins it's a transformation you know that god wants to literally transform us into new beings and that's what repentance is all about like our our acceptance of his transformation in our life our our acceptance of him recreating us in, in a sense. Right. And exactly. And I think it's like, you know, I mean, it's just, we lose all the dynamis, the dynamite of our faith. If we just um, kind of say like, well, God has died for us. And so everything's okay. No, God has died for us. And so we, we must be transformed by that. And that word transformation is key because it's about conversion of heart where your heart begins, your body, your mind, your actions will flow from, right? That's why Christ says, out of your heart come all manner of evil, right? And so what we have to do is address our heart first. So when you think of penance or repentance, the idea is to examine the interior life of the individual, right? We call this in the catechism, if you want to follow along, this was one of our take fives from a while ago. This is on interior penance, paragraph 1430. So often in the Catholic Church, we seem to want to start with the external, and we call that like liturgical or communal, but the church presupposes that it begins in the interior life. Yet, I know so many Catholics who, when a Protestant says, like, why do you go to a priest? I go right to God for repentance. And well, you know, Jesus tells us, you could do all the apologetics from Scripture and all that stuff. Sure, I'm not talking about sure. that. What I'm talking about is, 
if Catholics treat confession like a car wash, they're doing confession wrong. The church tells us in paragraph 1430 that it doesn't begin with these outward works, sackcloth and ash, fasting and mortification, but it starts with interior conversion. And then the church goes very far in saying, without this, without the interior conversion, such penances, including mortification and fastings, remain sterile and false. However, interior conversion urges expression in visible signs, gestures, and works of penance. So what the church is saying is, if you just do the outward thing without the inward thing, the outward thing is a lie. But if you do the inward thing, the outward thing will flow forth from it. And I never really put those connections together because it's so easy belonging to a sacramental church, belonging to a liturgical church to go on autopilot sometimes. That is like Protestants, it's like, yeah, you have to have faith and fall on your knees and weep for sorrow and blah, blah, blah. And then it just kind of stops there with the individual. But the problem is the Catholic Church presupposes that when then it brings about the sacramental and the kingdom-oriented view of it. And so many Catholics are like, instead of doing that individual thing, I'm just going to do the external thing. And that is the huge danger. That's where we go totally wrong. So what does this interior conversion look like? That's, I think, where we want to start. Yeah, and I think I, I think the best part about starting here and the best part about this message is it's the only thing that you have to get right in, in life, right? It's the <laughs> only thing that you have to get right. I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Somebody asked me the other day if there's a difference between spiritual warfare and striving for holiness. And I said, not really. You know, there really isn't that big of a difference. We know, we know that to stand before God in the beatific vision, we must be transformed beings. And so repentance has to take root in our hearts. It has to actually change us, not just cover us. It has to actually change us. And if we wake up every day in a spirit of repentance, if we wake up every day trying to live repentance, trying to live this, it's the only thing that matters, right? It's, I mean, you could, you could worry about nothing else and you've still had a successful life because this is what quite literally what we're here for. Yeah. And so when we look at these acts of interior penance, how do we, how do we do it? I think there's a couple questions that immediately come at us when we talk about how do I repent? Number one is what if I go to confession and I'm not really sorry? You ever have anyone ask you that? Oh, all the time. And I asked that for years. Yeah, especially when you're in, uh, you're dealing with youth ministry, right? Teenagers are like, "What if I'm not really sorry?" And you're like, "You will be sorry for looking at pornography, right?" Because that's what it's always about. Um, but the idea is, what if I'm not really sorry, or what if I don't believe it's wrong? This is the part where repentance, using examinations of conscience and all this stuff, kind of prepared throughout the tradition of the church, is so powerful. Because in our judgment, we always want to exclude ourselves and excuse ourselves. Well, that doesn't really apply to me because, or I was justified when. And so the power of having the Ten Commandments as an examination of conscience or the virtues of faith, hope, and love, which is one of my favorite ones. You can Google it. Father John Harden has a meditation according to the theological virtues. Awesome. The cardinal virtues. Awesome. Get different types of examinations of conscience. Get a good and worthy guide to help you because the first thing is, do you even know it's a sin? And then the second thing is, why are you trying to justify this sin? 
So the idea is, why, if I'm not really sorry, maybe it's because, well, I don't agree with the church that this is a sin. And so you get these guides, and they help to show you why. Now, if you adamantly disagree, then you need to go and you need to do research. Get it you worked to, out, right. Yeah, you need to figure it out. Like, especially, a lot. there's a lot of sensitivity around, and this is why I bring it up, sexual sins, because it's so interior, it's so personal. You're dealing with desires that maybe you never wanted in the first place and all this stuff. Right. There's a lot right. of confusion between people who don't understand um, temptations to, like, let's say, lustful thoughts, or even angry thoughts, vengeful thoughts, whatever it might be, and actually entertaining those thoughts, like just being tempted to it versus dwelling on it mentally. Um there's a lot of confusion and issues there. So I think uh, a lot of people need clarity. So go and seek out clarity. Start with the catechism. Go to your priest. Have a conversation. But the idea is there has to be some reason why, not just what the church says is a sin. So investigate the why if you're really struggling. And if yeah. you come to it and you look at it and you say, okay, now I understand why, but I'm struggling with either seeing it as a sin or feeling sorry for it, that is a beautiful place to be because now it you've is. achieved another level of self-knowledge. Right. Yeah, and I think what, what's important, so Gomer's hinting at this, what's really important, particularly for you people out there who, like me, have been confessing the same sins for years and years and years, and you're really trying to strive against them, right? Um, we've all been in this situation in our life. It's really important and very freeing to understand that you know, contrition is not always a feeling. Like sorrow, sorrow is not always a feeling. You can have intellectual sorrow, right? You can, through the act of will, realize act of your will, realize I should not have done that. Um, so you don't necessarily have to feel the brokenheartedness of sin. What you have to do is recognize that it is breaking your heart. And and this is why, like you'll see in the Desert Fathers, one of the one of the great things they pray for the most is like a gift of tears over their sin, a gift of sorrow for their sin. Because they understand that like it's it's hard, right? Sometimes we don't feel that sorrow in an emotional sense, but we know that it's wrong. And eventually when we start to realize, right, that we're hurting not just we're not just breaking a law, but we're hurting a person, that's when the sorrow and and, and the emotions start to align up with a lifestyle of repentance. Yeah, one of my coworkers is uh, a Thomist, and he's getting his doctorate in Thomistic studies, but he works as a coordinator of liturgy, and I have him do a whole bunch of morality classes for me. And one of the great lines that he said, which he's pulling from the catechism, is essentially, you can't command your emotions. You can't say to your, like, hey, heart, you be happy now, or, right. you know, like, you be sad now. You can't command it, but this is a fascinating thing, but you can train them. You can't command them to call and respond, but you can train them. And that's essentially what virtue is in, in the training of our passions and emotions, right? So the idea is one of the reasons why we cannot feel sorrow for repeated sins, habitual sins, is because we've trained our emotions to like this thing, to want this thing, or to be satisfied with this thing that now we're trying to say, Oh, I shouldn't like that at all. And so part of why he said, you know, the fathers would talk about praying for this is because that's where you see that you're training your very heart to be in accordance with your reason and your will. Part of the fall is this 
fracturing of myself where I'm disintegrated, where my mind might know the truth and my will might want the good and desire the good, but I don't ever do it, right? I do the very thing that I hate. I don't do the very good that I want. Who will deliver me from this wretched body? Oh, it's Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing about our faith is, okay, so we start to see this misalignment of my heart. So the father said, this is part of conversion. They called it the, uh, let me butcher the Latin, the anime, yeah, anime cruci, <laughs> oh, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to say it in English. The affliction of spirit. They would pray for what they called a salutary pain and sadness that accompanied the conversion of heart. Because if they didn't have it, they desired it because it showed that, yes, now my emotions are in line with my will, in line with my intellect which is in line with God's will for my life. So right. there is this, you you and I have, through habitual sin, have taught our, our souls and our hearts to long for the wrong thing. So don't discount, don't discount your conversion because it's still at that an earlier stage. Or maybe you're just not super emotional and that's fine. But if you are and you're struggling with this, don't let that limit you. Yeah, I, I just, it's it's a sign of, the wholeness of man. And remember, repentance is not just about, it's about healing, right? So we're, we're on a journey of healing here. And I will say that when I was a mess and had a myriad of, of serious sin on my soul, I was less sorry than I am now when I might Absolutely. be doing a little bit better, you know? And so even though I had more reason for it back then, I, I now I have the maturity, right, to, to recognize that this sin is not just it's not just a breaking of the law it's a breaking of the heart right and and i think like this is what's i, I love I, i'm so glad we're talking about this because i'm getting so excited about it and everything and this i i love what gomer said about using different examinations of conscience because what you're trying to do is kind of like a diamond right you're looking at your life uh through through a diamond in a sense and you're turning it and each angle is different and so you know, you might not think that you'd struggle with gossip and then you read a different take on the sin of gossip and you realize, oh my gosh, I do that every day. And so a lot of people use the example, and I use this example all the time, of the more you take a look at your life of sin, it's kind of like walking into a dirty room with a candle, right? If you just peek your head in, it probably doesn't look very dirty or messy, right? But then you start walking further and further in with that candle and you start to see stuff all over the floor, and all over the desk, and you see things all over everywhere, and you see the mess, that's what it's like. It's like you're just kind of starting to peer in, and and this is how using these different examinations of conscience, really taking the time to delve into this idea of, well, what is it that's keeping me from God? This isn't some kind of a, of a I don't know, like a mortifying to, sort of concept, or like something to shame you in a sense. This is literally about saying, what what's keeping me from the Lord, right? What am what am I hiding? What am I hiding behind, right? In, in the in the sense, if we want to go back to Eden, right? When they're hiding from God, and God said, you know, who told you you were naked, right? They're literally hiding from Him. That's what sin is. It's in a sense we're using something to hide behind uh, from God, and that's what we're looking for. We want to expose ourselves to God and be totally in His presence and totally in His in His justice. The soon to be beatified. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, um, one time had this analogy that you use about the dark room, uh, the dark and dirty room with a portrait. He said, sin is like looking at a portrait that you painted in a, uh, by candlelight. 
and he says you sit or maybe like by the fire and when you first look at the portrait you're like oh this is this is beautiful this is great yeah this looks just like me and then you take it out into the noonday sun and you realize oh man the colors are all off now that i can see it clearly you know you notice all these flaws and it's not really proportionate and all this stuff and he said that's exactly what it's like when a sinner comes close to god the first you look at your soul, you see the painfully obvious things. And I'll say this, the clo- the further you are from God, oftentimes the only sins you see are the sins that are socially unacceptable, right? And so what you do is you flee from those societies that deny uh, or that call out those sins. So you're uncomfortable. So like so in, in suburbia, we tend to be much more comfortable with greed, right? No one's greedy because we all kind of live with each other's income and we all kind of keep up with the Joneses. Everyone's greedy. We just don't notice it yet. And so, but like certain sexual sins or certain um, other social sins, we might look down upon. Like you might have a suburban Christian community that looks down on adultery, but doesn't even see greed. And then you go into a poor community where they see greed, but maybe there's some other vice that they, that they ignore or whatever. And so part of our experience is when your wills are so bent towards evil, often it's only from the outside where you can hear these because you've deadened the voice of conscience or you're de- you've deadened your ability to hear it. And this is the beautiful right. thing about conversion is that it's the calling to life of these dead things. So this is the drama of interior penance. Okay, Lord, I desire you i see you as the good for me as my supreme good as the as the end game of all of my plans and schemes not just my natural happiness which we talked about a few episodes ago but my desire for supernatural happiness you're the ultimate satisfaction that nothing on this earth can give me and yet i've chosen lesser things so that's why the closer you come to god like saint paul you know, and St. Francis of Assisi, where they say, uh, compared to all the people on the earth, I'm the chief of sinners, right? right? They right. constantly, the closer you come to the light, the more aware of your own imperfections, but also the greater your desire to be rid of them. So just when you think the fever guilt trip should ramp up, the love right. that you have for those purifying flames burns that away. And so the very thing that you, that people in the world, they mock confession because they're like, look, it's just a guilt trip. It's just a manipulative church guilt tripping you so that you keep coming to the you know this cast of the priest to dominate you and i'm like that is not my experience of confession my experience of confession is i address the very thing that causes the guilt right if i have a headache and all i take is a pain reliever and i have a reoccurring headache maybe there's a symptom of a greater problem there if all i experience is guilt maybe there's a greater problem than just addressing my guilt feelings with therapy maybe i need to confess the sin that's causing the guilt. And that begins, before I even go to the confessional, it begins in my heart. It ends with the priest saying, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's it's awesome. You know, and this is like, you know, Gomer brought up the fact that the culture, the culture more vehemently rejects confession than the mass by by far. Oh, right? yeah. Because the mass to them is more like a historical reproduction. But confession to them is... A, in their mind, a limit on their autonomy, yeah. and there's a there's an a, amazing uh, I think it's T. S. Eliot's a play uh, called The Cocktail Party, where you know this 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 woman is like going to doctor after doctor, and like the doctor saying, "What's wrong?" And she's like, "Well, I feel guilty for you know, cheating on my husband." And he's like, 
well, so the, and she addresses basically the problem is guilt. Like she's going to a doctor to remove her guilt, you know, and this is kind of what we've done in the culture, right? That we've, we've basically realized that like, oh, well, what you need to do is just remove any guilt, you know? And, and I, I would say this, that it can be a real daunting thought that this never ends, right? Yeah. I, I, like at the beginning, it is a scary thing to think about that this never ends. I remember a time in college when I was uh, drinking too much and and I went about a year where like every Thursday and Saturday night I was drinking, you know, uh, more in a, in a mortally sinful way. And um, and a, and a friend kind of called me out on it. And I remember I just stopped drinking, you know, at that moment. And I would go to confession every week. And I remember like I'd start to like tell him like, well, you know, it's been this many weeks. It's been this many weeks since it's been this many weeks, you know. And because he would ask me about it, the priest would ask me, but I would go to the same priest and everything. And and uh, I remember uh, on driving to confession off campus a year after I had stopped drinking completely and like patting myself on the back and feeling so good about myself. And and really someone brought up another person on campus, a name of another person on campus. And I was like, oh, he is so full of himself and I can't believe he thinks about this. And I just totally murdered his character, like just completely and utterly murdered this guy in the yeah. eyes of these people. And it was like a light went off in my head, like, whoa, you know, repentance isn't, it's not about just removing that one thing. It is literally a lifelong journey of transformation. Whereas I was thinking I was doing so good, really this sin was festering horribly in our heart, in my heart. So there are going to be things that pop up that you have no idea about, but don't see it as a mountain to climb. Just see it as this is what Christ has come to do. He is the healer. He's come to change who you are and to and to save you from this sin. Remember when Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, right? And he sees the sin that's going on down there. How does he respond? He throws the tablets on them, right? He he responds because he was not the person who can save us from the sin. When Christ comes down from the Mount of Beatitudes, right, he encounters the leper. And what does Christ do? The leprosy is the, you know, is the sign of sin, right, in the gospels. Yeah. What is what does Christ do? He heals him. That's what he wants to do, right? And so uh my favorite confessor of all time, every time I'd finish saying my sins, he would say, Well, the good news is you qualify. And that's that's good news. <laughs> that's good news. <laughs> I love that. And, and that's also my favorite Charlton Heston line from uh, the Ten Commandments. If you will not live by the law, you will die by it. And he throws the tablets. Remember? Remember, wow. remember that part? No, I mean, not not really. <laughs> I didn't watch it's it. It's okay. It was good. I feel, I feel like it's I feel like I just saw it. I mean, that was good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we are going to spend the next three weeks talking about repentance from various angles and ways because we want to help you be a better evangelist. And I am sick and tired of people always talking about tips and tricks, programs and processes to get the church to evangelize when it doesn't address me, the evangelist, in my state as a sinner. And I, I'm telling you, you want to have a white hot faith if you're struggling with Christ, you're struggling with the church, where do you need to repent? Because the sins of the bishops, the sins of the pope, the sins of the priests, the sins of you know, the parish councils or whoever else we want to blame will never send us to hell. Our sins send us to hell. Our sins separate us eternally from God. So let's be a repentant people. 
Like, let's drive our hearts, not in sackcloth and ash, but first in the conviction of our heart that I am not finished, that I have a long journey to go, and that Christ both died for my sins and rose for my life so that I must never, ever, ever despair and lose heart. Because God really did put a new heart within you. It's time that we live in to that. All right, everyone, we're going to go out to our uh, brief commercial break from our fine folks here at Ascension Press who have put all this time and effort into this podcast to make it the success that it is. So I'm going to do a call to action for you wonderful people. Please, 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 before the end of the year, text EKSB to the number 33777. And what that'll do is it'll put you onto our email list. Now, this is important for us. I was talking with Marisa, and we're trying to figure this stuff out. Who are you, fine people? We want to know our audience. We want to get to know you. So what we're going to do is send you weekly emails with the show notes. We're going to send you a monthly summary of all of the five practical takeaways so that you can put this into practice. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to have it in front of you as a reminder. And I'm telling you, if you want to be transformed, you got to do, not just hear. And so EKSB 33777, text that now, get on the list so that we can start having a bigger community around evangelizing because that's what the church needs to do. We'll be right back. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. And we are back with every knee shall bow. I hope that you uh, heard some wisdom from our friends at Ascension Press there. Check them out online. I mean, they have just amazing resources that really, I know Gomer's benefited from them. I've benefited greatly from the resources that Ascension Press offers. So please support them because uh, they're supporting us and, and we hope we're supporting you. Again, as Gomer mentioned before, we want to connect with you even more. And so if you would give us a, a chance here and text the letters EKSB to the number 33777. That's EKSB to 33777. And you're going to get the show notes. You're going to get some emails uh, specific to this show. And it's going to be, you know, just another step in our community building into us getting to know who you are. Now we're going to jump into our five practical takeaways regarding repentance, which will be on for the next few weeks. Okay. Number one, here's what I want you to do. I do this all the time, so I, I know I know what you're going through if you're having a trouble with this, okay? I want you to jump on Google, all right, 
and I want you to find three different examinations of conscience, okay? So one of them you're gonna Google is just a, an examination of conscience based on your gender. So for me, I would just Google examination of conscience for men. Number two, I want you to uh, Google a, an examination of conscience based on the 10 commandments, okay? And number three, exa Google examination of conscience based on either the virtues or the beatitudes. So an examination of conscience either on the virtues or the beatitudes, whatever you think. Um, and just take those, print them out, take a look at those and start to realize, you know, the difference in each of them and the little nuances that come about. So that's number one. Uh, number two, I want you to open up the Catechism of the Catholic Church to paragraph 1432. It starts off, the human heart is heavy and hardened. God must give man a new heart. And what I want you to do is hand write that out. Sit down and write that out. You can do it in prayer, in adoration, you know, whenever. But write it out so that that paragraph, including the quote beneath it, sinks into your heart. Awesome. Uh, number three, okay, every time we go to Mass, one of the first parts of Mass is what we call the penitential rite, okay? Uh, what I want you to do is come up with your own kind of penitential little prayer time, okay? A penitential rite of your own that you're going to do every night. And what you're going to do is use those examinations of conscience or whatever examination of conscience you want to use, but do it at, in the evening and just think about your day and think about the ways that you failed God and you failed yourself and you failed your family, okay? This isn't meant to be sad. It's meant to bring us to the healer, right? Uh, those sicknesses that have kind of lesioned up on our soul here during the day, that's what we're trying to find. And then put them into the mercy of God, throw them into the ocean of mercy that is our God, okay? And give yourself like some kind of a prayer that you're gonna pray every night at the end of this penitential prayer time, uh, a prayer of repentance, just apologizing to God for your sin and asking for a new uh, and upright spirit, a new heart. Here's something that you can work into your retreats, something that you can do plug into youth ministry or, you know, any sort of Advent days of reflection or anything like that, or even penances as priests, right? So in paragraph 1431 of the Catechism, it says that... Um, that interior repentance is a radical reorientation of our whole life, a turning away from evil. So what I want to invite you to do is, you know, we all have things that we need to stop doing in our lives and good things that we need to start doing. What I want you to do is very simply, it could just be a paragraph, write down how in specific and concrete ways you can turn away from a particular evil in your life a habitual mortal sin venial sin whatever it might be gossip some something that came about through your examination of conscience right that you're like yeah I do I do that all the time you know a reoccurring sin some petty little sin but it's just present all the time take the time and write out how you can overcome it a plan of action to reorient your life awesome and finally number five Take a look at your parish calendar and see the opportunities for confession from now until Christmas time, okay? And put on your calendar the date that you are going to go to confession so that you can really enter into this little retreat that Gomer and I are going to be giving you over the next few weeks, this retreat about repentance, and then actually go and physically do that uh, in the way that God set up for us you know, through the confessional. So um, 
put it on your calendar right now. There'll be there'll be penance services. There'll be you know different times that that it's available because it's Advent. It'll be stepped up a little bit, so it shouldn't be hard. But get it on the calendar so you know that before Christmas you're going to have a chance to do this. All right, this has been yet another episode of Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. This is where we say, physician, heal thyself. Evangelist, be thou converted, right? So we are going to turn this into a mini retreat focusing on repentance for the Advent season. I like the way you put that. And the goal is this will now be, as of December 5th, we will have hit one year with Every Knee Shall Bow and Ascension Press, bringing you the gospel message and equipping wow. you to go out and be missionaries. I know, I just realized that last night. December 5th will be our one-year anniversary of the first full show. So we did that little pre-show Thanksgiving weekend, but this is our first full show. And I want to say a big thank you to everyone, not just at Ascension Press, but every listener, even if it's only been one episode, to everyone who's ever shared an episode, to all those super fans out there who came in in the middle and then went through the whole back catalog, to all you wonderful people who started way in the beginning with episode one or two and have been with us this whole time we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts from all your for all your support for all the time you've invested the sharing the emailing the conversations you've had around this 2020 me and dave have big plans for this show and it starts with you especially those who have been such super fans and have reached out and communicated how much you love this thank you thank you thank you and god bless bye Thank you.